Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. To the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for the weekend mailbag. And for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. But before we get to Chris, I just wanted to talk about this Quinn and Williams story. We don't really know anything about it yet, so there's not much to talk about other than the fact that apparently Quentin Williams tried to board a flight at LaGuardia on Thursday with a gun. He was arrested and charged with criminal possession of a weapon at 9.15 p.m., according to Port Authority Police. He has a permit for that gun, which is a Glock 19, in Alabama, but not New York. So it sounds like it's probably just some sort of big misunderstanding And I don't know how much of a punishment Quentin Williams is going to get for this or what the league is going to do. But as soon as we have more information on it, we'll bring you more on this story. But that's all that there is at the time of this recording. And now with that said, let's get into something a little more fun. Before we start taking mailbag questions, Chris, we must talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're both big fans of the show, but this particular episode that just aired a couple of days ago was Perfect for Jets fans because it was littered with Jets references and we'll go through it a little bit But what a hilarious episode and I think if you're a Jets fan, it was pretty cathartic Yeah, I I just hope everyone listening all you Jets fans are are ready to handle more disappointment than Carl was Like I, I hope you're not at Carl's threshold of disappointment because I get it Carl. I get it uh the, the episode was hilarious. I mean, the entire episode was hilarious. Even the the whole ugly section, the stuff with the <laughs> with the bathroom attendant, Susie being in the pretty section, and him Larry yelling at her about it. Everything about it was hilarious. But that all the jet stuff took it to a whole nother level. And I'm sure you know regular football fans that are or that aren't Jets fans found it hilarious, pointing, laughing, ha ha, Jets on some Nelson Muntz stuff. But uh, for, I'm sure there's probably some Jets fans that were a little offended, upset by it. But I think I, the Jets fans have put up with so much. You know Larry David is a Jets fan. Mm-hmm. So you, it's one of your own making these jokes. And, I mean, everything about it was hilarious. Just 
Carl talking about it, Larry making the realization that, oh, my God, he said he couldn't take the disappointment anymore. This is what he always said when he watched the Jets. <laughs> uh, and then Larry talking himself out of the magic, you know, because he couldn't stop complaining about the Jets, too. It was just all around perfect. The, the uh, Her being like, yeah, he'd wake up and just be Watson, like – Complaining about the Austin Safarian Jenkins catch, <laughs> non-catch. I mean, that's a, that's a deep cut. Like, the, this this was great. It was absolutely hilarious. I told you I was trying to watch. I was, like, debating on going to sleep and saving it for the next day. I was like, I'll watch it before I go to sleep. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I was just, just chuckling it up, man. For anybody who's unfamiliar with Curb, by the way, the thing that makes this especially funny and makes you realize that Larry David actually is a huge Jets fan is the fact that there's no script for this show. Generally, Larry David writes an outline and they improv it. So Larry David was coming up with this stuff off the top of his head, like you said, the Severian Jenkins play. First of all, if you haven't seen the episode, highly recommend it. I apologize for the spoilers, but the show aired almost a week ago, so if you haven't seen it by now, I don't know what to tell you, but I would recommend going to watch it, even if you listen to us talk about some of the stuff in it. A couple of the Jets-related things. First of all, Bobby Slayton, who's one of the most underrated stand-up comedians out there and has been for a really long time, they call him the Pitbull of Comedy, he played Carl, the guy who ended up killing himself over his grief because of the Jets. He was hilarious in this episode, even though it was very brief appearance for Bobby Slayton. He was terrific in it. And when Larry got the phone call from Jeff saying that Carl had died, Larry's first reaction being, but he was playing so well when they were playing <laughs> golf was hysterical. And it was such a Larry reaction. And then when he puts it all together, as you said, Chris, and he says, oh, my God, the Jets. The Jets killed Carl. He couldn't take the disappointment anymore. I guarantee, as you said, there were tons of Jets fans watching this saying to themselves, oh man, one of these days, I hope I don't turn into Carl because it's been nonstop disappointment. And then the hits that kept on coming when they're at the funeral and Carl's widow is talking about how the Jets ruined their marriage. Everything had to be Jets and his entire existence revolved around how good or bad the Jets did. And then she said he'd wake up in the middle of the night sometimes screaming, Watson, Watson. And she said, I don't even know what that was about. And Larry goes, I believe that was probably a reference to Deshaun Watson, who the Jets passed on in the 2017 draft. The way he matter-of-factly explains this to her at her husband's funeral was hilarious. I also immediately thought to myself, wow, she was married to Joe Caparoso? So <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then if you look at some of the other stuff that went down throughout the episode, the part where Richard Lewis was using an illegal putter, so he's with Larry David, and somebody has to come and rob the car, and it becomes pretty obvious quickly that the guy was going for the putter specifically, so Richard Lewis must have been up to it because he was trying to get rid of the illegal putter so he'd get rid of the evidence, but the guy that Richard Lewis hired is wearing a Jets mask, and in the middle of an armed robbery, Larry David and the armed robber are commiserating about how much they hate the Jets for making them miserable because of how bad they are. Yeah, he thought this year was going to be good, and then Sam Darnold got mine. No, it's such a Jets thing to happen. Imagine that happening in the middle of an armed robbery. And then, of course, the part at the end, like you said, where he's with the widow. And part of the storyline of the episode is that Carl, when he was still alive, had told his golf buddies, including Larry, that his widow had, let's say, 
magical abilities in a certain area. That's the best way I could put it. And Larry was obsessed with finding out if the hype was correct. So he's with the widow, talks himself into a date, goes back to the house, and they end up in an argument over the Jets. And she's like, Larry, the Jets killed my husband and they ruined my marriage and you have the nerve to bring up the Jets because he said something about how something got screwed up just like the call against Austin Safarian Jenkins with the Patriots in 2017, which, like you said, was a deep cut. And my joke to Michael Nania was, couldn't have been Kembrell Tompkins in 2015 when the game actually meant something? It had to be 2017, the tank year, when it didn't mean anything anyway. And then, of course, the best part is, as he's leaving, and he's like, it was a BS call. The widow looks at him and goes, it wasn't even a catch, Larry. He did not survive the ground. And they get into like a two-minute argument back and forth about whether or not it was actually a catch. This was so perfect. And if you're a Jets fan, I can't even impress upon you how much you need to watch this episode. Yeah. And and listen, if we did spoil it for you, don't worry, because I promise you it's going to be just as funny. Uh, you're, you're not going to remember all the details of the stuff and there's enough other stuff in there that what we talked about is going to slip by and you're going to be dying laughing anyway, just the same. Uh, another thing, Nick Kroll as the guy at the, the restaurant was absolutely perfect. That had nothing to do with the jet stuff, but it was really a perfect episode. And re- this is an all time season from Larry has just absolutely knocked it out of the park this year. He is, they are on a hot streak. Every every week, it seems to get better than the week before. And I'm just, I'm loving it. I am loving it. Also, if you're a fan of this podcast, you know that Chris and I have talked many times about our love for the show Justified. And earlier this season, Timothy Oliphant, who played Raylan Givens, the main character in Justified, made a guest appearance. Although, Chris, you brought up a really good point. It was kind of weird because on Curb, they sort of skirt the line between celebrity and actor in the sense that some famous actors are identified by who they actually are. So, for instance, Ted Danson, who's a regular character, is identified as Ted Danson. Meanwhile, Timothy Oliphant was playing some character in this particular episode instead of playing Timothy Oliphant. So that was kind of strange. And it was definitely weird to see the guy that we've known for so long as Raylan Givens in that particular strange comedic universe of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, absolutely. It it gets a little confusing with all that, but um, I I definitely thought that Timothy Oliphant was going to be playing himself there. Uh, but so that kind of threw me off a little bit. But yeah, it's it, that does get a little confusing trying to keep track of all that. But whatever, the show is just too hilarious, and this is this is the huge benefit. This this shows uh, proves and shows you how like you know maybe you don't have to put out a show the, the show every year. Go ahead and take your time with it. Go ahead, wait a couple years between seasons, three four years between seasons because. Man, when when he he waits until he has the material, and when he has it, he just it's everything is gold. Chris, all I could tell you is, if you think you're going to be successful, you don't know what you're talking about. Because in order to make it in this business, you need the beans, and you, my friend, don't have the beans. A little reference to the ongoing coffee wars in Curb Your Enthusiasm. But I will say, Chris, this particular episode needs to be watched by all Jets fans because I think we can both agree it was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love this show. I can't get enough of it. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. So with that, we move into the mailbag, and we start with our buddy Sean Stalker. Sean says, Scott and the very big deal Chris Nimbley. Jets fans are excited to see how Bam Bam rebuilds the roster, but what expectations do you have of his ability to fix some of the culture issues inherent in the usurper and his style of management? The reporting structure and Gase getting him hired has me worried. I understand why you're worried. I am too, in the sense that Maybe Douglas has some sort of loyalty to Gase because of the fact that Gase helped him get the job. We know that they're friends, so there's that too. The question is, how loyal will he be to Gase? How much is he going to be his own man? I do think that Joe Douglas is not going to be a toady by any stretch. I don't think that he's going to let Adam Gase run roughshod over him. I think that there may be times where he defers to Gase a little bit or he gives Gase a little bit of extra slack. How much that ends up playing into things, we're going to find out over time because what we do know is that Joe Douglas got a six-year contract, so he has more leverage than anybody else with the exception of ownership, obviously. And we don't know enough about Joe Douglas, the person, to know exactly how loyal he would be to somebody like Gase in this situation or whether or not he would step back and say, yeah, I like Adam. We both like pro wrestling and he did help me get this job, but he's messing up and he needs to stop doing A, B and C. We're going to find that out over time. For now, it's kind of a wait and see approach. 
I understand why you're nervous. I think most of us are. But for now, I'm going to give Joe Douglas the benefit of the doubt because I think his reputation is so good that until he does something to make me not believe in him, I'm going to think that he's going to make the right call even when it comes to his friend. Yeah, so here's the thing. with you, I, People know how I feel about the culture word. Um, and ba- basically, like, yes, you need good culture, the, but culture really only matters to me when, it's, when it goes bad. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you just need the talent. But I, you have to be concerned about that for this year. You have to. Just looking at the way that everything went last year, how many players Gase rubbed the wrong way, how many players clearly were not fond of the way that Gase handled things, whether it was injuries, whether it was uh, you know the play calling, whether it was playing time. There, there's a, a myriad of complaints that uh, people had and did not like about Gates. And you can't possibly just think, okay, that's just all going to disappear this year. So it has to be a huge concern this year. Um, I, there's just no way around it. As far going forward, I feel like obviously it's going to depend on how the season plays out, that what the record is there. But I feel like if it's – if this coming year is is like last year and it's any type of disappointment, I I think that's going to have to be enough for Douglas. You mentioned that he has this, had the six-year contract. Well, that's down to five years now. By the end of this year, it'll be down to four years. So then if he sticks with Gase again through another disappointing season, that would be down to three years. And then all of a sudden you get down to that two-year range and he can get fired. Um so if this season is another disappointment and things go off the tracks early, he's going to be looking and be like, all right, I'm probably going to have to make a move now because I, I need to be able to get out ahead of this. Um, he can't wait so long that by the time that Gase gets fired, he's only got a couple years left. Um, and I just think that with this year, he knows what a huge overhaul of the roster he has to deal with. So he can roll with Gase again. But if these same problems persist, I think he's smart enough to know that he's going to have to start from scratch again going forward. And, I, I, of course, there's this factor too. Darnold going to the third year, if he doesn't uh, turn, it, turn it around and make huge improvements over last year with Gase, I think Douglas is going to have to sit here and say, look, I know I wasn't here when you were hired. The Johnsons hired you, but they hired you because to uh, get the most out of Darnold, and you're not doing it. I need to go find someone who will. The other X factor here, of course, is Woody Johnson. Christopher Johnson is the one that really wanted to hire Adam Gase, and he's the one that tied his reputation to Gase. If Woody Johnson comes back and sees things that he doesn't like, he might push for changes and Joe Douglas may or may not feel like sticking up for his buddy because he may be in a situation where he doesn't feel that it's worth sticking up for his buddy. Whereas, let's say Christopher Johnson was pushing to keep Adam Gase, then maybe Joe Douglas would feel a little more inclined to give in to what the owner wants. So there's a lot of factors that we don't know about right now. It's going to be interesting to see. This all goes away, of course, if the Jets win games and perform well on the field. And that's kind of what you're getting at with the culture, Chris. Culture matters when things aren't going well. We all know the story about that famous Yankees team that won the World Series with their cleanup hitter, manager, and owner 
constantly in fistfights with each other. Sometimes talent overcomes. And the culture problem only really matters when things aren't going well. So we'll see. But obviously, winning is the magic elixir. And if Gase can get this team to win after Douglas does a good job of building the roster, then all of this goes away and nobody's talking about culture. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, what is better, having an elite guard or an average tackle? I keep hearing Daniel Jeremiah saying that he thinks Tristan Wirfs would be a Pro Bowl guard, and that's where he sees him playing now. And Pauline says that Jedrick Wills is being graded as a guard because of mental capacity, and teams are afraid he can't handle tackle. If you're drafting Thomas Wirfs, Wills, or Becton, they should all be playing right or left tackle, even if they're average. What are your thoughts on this? Is elite guard or average tackle better moving forward for the Jets? This is an interesting question for a variety of reasons. Not that I'm saying the Jets would get either one of these guys, but this is kind of the Jack Conklin-Joe Tooney debate in a nutshell, right? Because Joe Tooney is an elite-level guard, and Jack Conklin is really an average to slightly above-average tackle. He's solid, but he's nothing more than that. You're probably going to have to pay somebody like Jack Conklin more money than you would have to pay Joe Tooney, even though Joe Tooney is an elite guard, and Conklin is just an average to somewhat above-average tackle. So the question kind of becomes, what's your scheme like? What kind of stuff do you do with your offensive line? What does your offensive line coach want to do? And in some cases, I think you're better off with the all-pro guard. In some cases, you might be better with the above-average tackle. I think in a lot of ways, this is sort of similar to what you would have seen with DeBrickashaw Ferguson. I know that a lot of people love DeBrickashaw, and he did a good job of holding down the tackle spot for 10 years. But he wasn't a great tackle by any stretch. He was a good, solid tackle, which you'd be happy with at the number 11 pick, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't an elite tackle. So the question becomes, would you rather have somebody like him or would you rather have, say, a prime Alan Fanica? I think it's a fascinating question. In this particular case, though, I think whoever the Jets draft is going to end up at tackle. And I will also say this, not that I'm saying that I know more than Daniel Jeremiah, because certainly I don't, but... I see no reason, just from what I've watched, that Wirfs, Wills, Becton, and Thomas can't all be really good tackles. I'm not saying they're all going to be all-world tackles, but I think all four of those guys have the ability to hold down that tackle spot, barring injury, for the next decade or so. So I would be taking these guys with the intention of playing them at tackle. Yeah, so I'll start by saying I have watched a, a little bit on all of the top four um, guys, those top four offensive linemen. I haven't completely finished my my study on it, but I've, I've watched enough of them. Now, in a vacuum, if you just ask me, without attaching any of the names to it, if you ask me if I'd rather have an elite guard or an average tackle, give me the elite guard. I, I want elite players no matter what. Um, so I, I will take the elite guy over the average guy every time. Um, having said that, I, I think all four of these guys are tackles. I think Wills is a tackle. I think that, um, the Wirfs is a tackle. I, I, I'm, I'm like you, I, I'm a big fan of Daniel Jeremiah. I get it, but I don't know how you watch Wirfs and you sit here and think, oh, he's going to be, he has to be a guard. Um, I, I just don't see it, especially with how athletic he is. Um, I, I don't get it. So I don't think that this is something to really be concerned about. Now, where you might have a concern on it is more maybe a Wirfs or a Wills would be better suited to start at guard on day one. 
and then you can maybe move them outside. But even that seems like a stretch to me. They both they both look, it feel, play. Everything about them looks like a tackle to me. Um, I don't doubt that they could dominate inside, but I still think that they could definitely be really, really good outside. So if, if without the names attached, give me the elite guard. Um, but – I think these guys are going to be really, really good offensive tackles. And I think that you can go ahead and do that. And we've talked about this. I would rather pay Thune than I'd rather pay Conklin. I'm, I'm cool with paying Conklin just because of how hard it is to address that spot and what a dire need it is for them to address that spot. But I'd rather pay Thune uh, a little bit less than what Conklin's going to get because Thune's closer to an elite guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want as many elite players as I can get. I don't really care unless we're talking uh, even then. No, I don't. I don't care the position. Um, I want the elite players um, again. But having said that, again, I th- I think all of these guys uh, right now. Uh, you know, I haven't fully nailed down how I have my rankings on them, but it's Wilson Worf one and two and. Uh, and with Becton right behind him and then Thomas uh, a little bit back. But I think – I still think uh, Andrew Thomas is going to be a really good tackle. So I don't think this is going to be a, a concern. I think if they take one of those guys – or I should say if they're able to take one of those guys because if one of them's on board, I think they're 99.9% sure going to take them, that they're going to be playing uh, tackle in the first year. I agree, and as I've said, I would rather pay Tooney than Conklin myself. I think a lot of it, as I said, comes down to situation and the fit in a scheme, and there's so many things that go into this, but in a general sense, while I do think that tackle is more important if you're telling me that a guy is only an average tackle as opposed to an elite guard, then you want the elite guard. If we're talking about a guy who's a good tackle versus an elite guard, that might be a different conversation. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you're following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com where you will also find some terrific writing from Michael Nania. Do not forget, if you have not given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It would help out a lot. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it's a huge help to us. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And if you haven't subscribed to the brand new podcast series, Badlands, with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers yet, I can't recommend enough how much you need to do that. It's a 10-part series with 10 different A-level guests. Manish Meadow, who you hear on this podcast every week, came on the program. Alex Jimo, who I think was the best one because she was there as team reporter in 2016. So she had firsthand experiences to talk about, including an incredible story about a one-on-one conversation she had with Woody Johnson After the Jets got bludgeoned by the Kansas City Chiefs that ended up leading to a closed door meeting with the players. So if you want to hear how that developed, you got to subscribe to the series. Mike Tanier and Matt Miller from Bleacher Report were both on Matt Miller to talk about the Jets drafting mistakes over the last decade. And overall, the series takes a deep look 
at how the Jets messed up this past decade, what went wrong, and how they can start to turn things around and get things going in the right direction. Can't emphasize enough how great this series is and how much you really need to subscribe if you haven't already. You can do so at Podbean or you can find the information on Twitter at Jay Caparoso and at Connor J. Rogers. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with part two of the mailbag tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget to visit the place that is your home of the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And that, of course, is Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.